Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, today as part of our special series, Spotlight on Metastatic Breast Cancer, we're going to talk about precision medicine, uh, an exciting new approach to cancer treatment. Uh, over the years, frankly speaking about cancer, has tackled a number of complicated medical topics, and precision medicine definitely fits into that category. But we don't shy away from tough topics, however complex they may seem. Together and with the help of an expert, we dive in, we make sense of difficult medical terms and concepts so that you can make the best, most informed decisions for you and your loved ones. And that's exactly what we're going to do today with our guest, Dr. James Ford. Dr. Ford is a medical oncologist and geneticist devoted to studying the genetic basis of breast and GI cancer development, treatment, and prevention in families and populations. He is currently Professor of Medicine, Oncology, and Genetics at Stanford University Medical Center. Dr. Ford runs the Stanford Cancer Genetics Clinic that sees patients for genetic counseling and testing of hereditary cancer syndromes from prevention and early diagnosis of cancer in in high-risk individuals and populations. He has recently been named the director of Stanford's new cancer genomics program performing next-generation tumor profiling to identify novel genetic targets for personalized target therapies, and he directs the Molecular Tumor Board. Dr. Ford is an editor of numerous scientific journals, including Cancer Research and DNA Repair. He has recently been named the founding editor-in-chief of JCO Precision Oncology. That's quite a bio. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Ford. Well, thanks, Kim. Happy to be here. Yeah, that was quite an introduction. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Very impressive. So we know we have the right guy on the phone today. Um, Dr. Ford, I have to be honest. Um, you know, I've been struggling with figure, figuring out how to approach uh, talking about precision medicine. I know it's different from other types of cancer treatments. Um, so I think maybe we should start by getting our listeners comfortable with some of the medical terms and terminology they're likely going to hear um, in our conversation. So, um, so Dr. Ford, generally speaking, what is uh, precision medicine, and why is there so much uh, excitement and hope about it? I mean, every time I think of the term, I have visions of sort of, you know, Dr. Bones from Star Trek, uh, you know, treating patients in the Enterprise's uh, sick bay. But tell us, well, what is this modern technology? Yeah, well, I think that's the, that's the ultimate goal, though, you know, we're only uh, uh, part of the way there. So it's, it's, I agree it's important to think about some of the definitions and, and what we're really talking about. Um, so I think this idea of, of, of precision medicine in an overall way just really uh, means using some of the, the incredible advances in tools to, to measure things. Uh, and in terms of medicine and, and clinical things, you know, we'll talk lots today about measuring DNA. 
DNA and sequencing DNA, but it can be as broad as, uh, uh, you know, a watch that's counting your steps. Uh, so, so anything that's, that's helping to measure and quantify things at a very personal level, I think is, is what we're calling precision medicine, to be more precise uh, about the measurement. Uh, as we'll talk about, then the whole idea is to take that to better tailor schemes, and that could be for treating diseases, like we'll talk about today, but also for maintaining health. Uh, but, to, but to do those interventions or, or schemas in a way that's, that's precise and tailored to an individual as opposed to a general population. So let's, uh, let's dive in a little on the topic today. We're talking today about precision medicine as it relates to metastatic breast cancer. Can you tell our listeners what metastatic means and how metastatic breast cancer is different from or, or the same as breast cancer? Sure. Well, the, the term metastatic in, in cancer medicine and oncology uh, simply means a, a tumor that has spread distantly from the primary site. Uh, that, could, that patient could present that way or that might be the result of a, of a recurrence of a primary cancer that was already treated. So specifically in the, in the breast cancer setting, uh, metastatic breast cancer means uh, uh, cancer, adenocarcinoma, uh, that has spread beyond the breast um, uh, and, uh, and often involves the lymph nodes, uh, but more commonly we think of metastatic as if it's spread, for example, to the liver or to the bones or to the brain. Um, Again, as I said, that, that could be the first presentation of breast cancer, but uh, fortunately today that's less common with good screening, but it still unfortunately can happen as a recurrence of a, in, in a woman who's been treated for her primary breast cancer, but at some point uh, later develops a metastasis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I know that you know, we're going to talk a lot about uh, different precision medicine options that are available for someone diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, but... Um, just give us an overview of some of the other kinds of therapies that we hear about, and I know it's a lot to cover in a short time, but I know we hear about, you know, chemotherapy, hormone therapy, uh, immunotherapy. Can you just talk about these in, in just the simplest possible terms to, again, uh, sort of lay the groundwork for our discussion? Sure, of course, there's a whole spectrum of, of treatments, but the, it's particularly relevant for breast cancer because the, the whole spectrum really is uh, is used in, in different situations and, and at different points in time. Uh, you know, so most generically, the terms chemotherapy is, uh, simply means a drug, a small molecule that's, that's cytotoxic, uh, hopefully more so to cancer cells than to normal cells, uh, but uh, that definition belies the fact that they're often not very uh, selective or specific. They're just generally toxic, and uh, for a whole variety of reasons, uh, they may be more toxic to, to particular cancer cells or, or cancer types, uh, but they generally uh, often uh, have broad side effects because they're not perfectly specific. Um, so some of the newer approaches, of course, hormone therapy is, is very relevant for breast cancer because it's a hormonally uh, driven, so often hormonally um, uh, uh, induced cancer, and so various approaches to to interrupt that hormone's action. So anti-hormone drugs like tamoxifen are are important uh, for many women with breast cancer. Uh, 
we're hearing uh, you know enormous amounts about immunotherapy, uh, which is not a new approach to cancer, but the efficacy has definitely improved with some of the new agents that have been discovered recently. And so the idea here is, is you know, in theory, you'd think our immune system would identify cancer as not normal, as, you know, not ourselves, just like it identifies a bacterial infection. Uh, but for uh, many, many reasons, cancer is very smart and has figured out how to avoid that natural immune reaction. And so um, uh, lots of research has resulted in, in the current state where we can manipulate the immune system to try to get around that avoidance. And some of the new immunotherapy drugs do just that. They help They help. Um, uh, inspire the natural immune system to reject cancer and have been effective in certain situations. Uh, and then, um, uh, and then finally, this idea of quote targeted therapy. I mean, that term is very broad, but just I think in general we mean uh, a a drug or an antibody or a therapy that specifically um, targets a particular gene or gene product or mechanism in a cancer cell, so more specific than just being generally cytotoxic. And we'll come back and talk about, for example, targeted therapies to HER2, and those those will be, you know, binding that very HER2 molecule, so very targeted. And we hope that the side effects of those will be less because they're more specific to the abnormality in the cancer cell. So as we continue down this road of trying to understand some of these terms and terminology that we're going to continue to use uh, throughout the show, Dr. Ford, what about a biomarker? What is a biomarker and how does that relate to precision medicine? Well, I think it's just a generic term for any uh, molecule uh, in, in, in the human body that we can measure that helps us to either uh, predict whether a, a, a certain treatment might work for, for that disease, and in this case cancer, uh, or might be prognostic for uh, how, this, how uh, likely it is that, that a cancer, for example, may recur or not recur, uh, or to even follow a therapy. Uh, to be able to measure how well that therapy is working. So, for example, uh, and often we hope that these biomarkers will be simple to measure, you know, so if this is a circulating marker in the blood uh, that relates to uh, a cancer progression or response, obviously is an easier uh, test than doing a CAT scan and measuring it, but often they correlate. Um, so I think any, any measurable, uh, and again, here's where we come back to, to be as precise as possible, uh, so a, something that can be measured and can help tell us about uh, how a cancer is progressing or responding, uh, or what type of cancer it is even, would be termed a biomarker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I, Dr. Ford, sometimes I hear the terms precision medicine and personalized medicine used uh, interchangeably, but that's not really correct. Is that right? Well, you know, these terms are all sort of overlapping and, and kind of depends on the definition of the person using them. I guess conceptually, I think of precision having to do with the measurement, the technology of measuring it, to be more precise in measuring, you know, whatever this abnormality is. And the personalized part is using that precise information to try to tailor a therapy to an individual. So that means, you know, that we would treat uh, a, a patient with breast cancer in a, in a particularly specific way to depending on her precise measurements of her tumor as opposed to just, you know, every woman with breast cancer and, you know, what generally works or doesn't work, you know, across mm-hmm. that whole spectrum. 
So uh, we've got a couple minutes till our first break here, um, Dr. Ford, but the data I've seen shows that people are living longer uh, with metastatic breast cancer than they have been in the past, say, than they were 10 years ago. Has precision medicine contributed to that improved outcome? Yeah, absolutely. And as a great example, you know, I think, I mean, we sometimes get so wrapped up in that this whole precision medicine is this whole new uh, field that came out of no place. But in fact, precision medicine has been going on in breast cancer for decades. Uh, excellent examples are, are targeting the estrogen receptor with, with tamoxifen, an anti-estrogen drug, mm-hmm. or targeting the HER2 gene with Herceptin, an antibody. And uh, those are precision medicine targeted therapy approaches, and they've clearly uh, led to uh, improve survival in breast cancer. More recently, uh, you've heard about PARP inhibitors being approved for certain mm-hmm. subgroups of breast cancer that have BRCA mutations, uh, clearly improving survival in patients with, breast, with metastatic breast cancer. Great, great. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about metastatic breast cancer with Dr. James Ford uh, from Stanford. We're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. 
it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. Our show today is about precision medicine and how it's being used to treat people facing metastatic breast cancer. Our guest is Dr. James Ford. Dr. Ford is currently Professor of Medicine, Oncology, and Genetics, and Director of the Stanford Cancer Genetics Clinic and the Cancer Genomics Program at Stanford University Medical Center. Um, So, you know, as we discussed before the break, metastatic breast cancer is an advanced form of breast cancer in which the cancer has metastasized um, or spread to other parts of the body. We also talked about biomarkers um, and how they can help provide doctors with more information um, about a person's cancer. Um, I, I just I want to dive in a little bit deeper on that now, Dr. Ford, and maybe dive in on, uh, again, some terms folks may have, may have heard of or want to learn um, a little bit more about. I know we certainly hear about the term HER2 or HER2 positive. Can you talk to us a little bit about what HER2 means? Sure, yeah, I mentioned that right before the break. So, um, so HER2 is just the name of a protein uh, that's uh, normally expressed in, 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 in breast and, and other cells and is encoded by a gene called ERB2. Uh, so you'll hear that as well. So we, we use those terms interchangeably, uh, uh, part of the complex nomenclature of, of all this stuff in, in genetics. But uh, that protein, what its normal function is to do is a growth factor. It helps translate signals that are coming from outside a cell to tell that cell it should uh, grow faster and divide, right? And that, of course, is one of the abnormal aspects of cancer. So uh, HER2 can get amplified, uh, so it's inappropriately expressed at a high level, and that means that growth signal is, is getting inappropriately translated and is driving the, the cell division. So that's how it's it's potentially causing cancer and certainly contributing to breast cancer, it's inappropriately amplified or overexpressed in about 20% of breast cancer. And so uh, really one of the major discoveries uh, in breast cancer uh, over the last several decades was that targeting that HER2 protein, and initially that was done with an antibody uh, that people know of as, as Herceptin or Trastuzumab is, is this other name, was very effective in treating that 20% of women whose breast cancers overexpress HER2. So I think it's a really classic example of precision and targeted medicine and how understanding that molecular uh, uh, 
uh, underpinning of a subgroup of breast cancer helps tailor that treatment. Because Herceptin doesn't work in the other 80% of breast cancer that is not mm-hmm. overexpressing HER2. And do we know in terms of a of, of patient being, you know, HER2 positive, does it, does it mean anything in terms of their prognosis or what we know about their cancer, or does it just mean that we found a target that we can more uh, precisely treat? Well, in fact, both, and that's a fascinating aspect of this. Uh, before the era of having a drug against HER2 or an antibody, uh, we did know that HER2 was a bad prognostic sign. It meant that HER2 overexpressing or amplified breast cancers actually had a, a poor outcome. Uh, they were more aggressive and more likely to recur and metastasize. But, of course, that's all changed in the era of having an effective treatment for HER2 cancer, and so uh, um, those numbers have improved dramatically. So it's, it had both prognostic implications and predictive, meaning predictive that, that those HER2-positive breast cancers would respond to, to HER2-directed therapies. So let me get into another uh, area that's been in the news, it seems, lately. We're hearing a lot um, about triple negative breast cancer. What is triple negative breast cancer? Yeah, so uh, a very... Uh, 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 interesting topic because triple negative breast cancer basically is a diagnosis of exclusion. We talked about uh, HER2 positive, and as you know, many breast cancers also overexpress the estrogen receptor, so they're called ER positive, uh, for which we have targeted therapies with anti-estrogen molecules uh, and other hormones. So triple negative simply means that uh, that breast cancer cell does not overexpress HER2, nor ER, nor another um, uh, hormone receptor called progesterone receptor, PR. So ER negative, PR negative, uh, ER, HER2 negative, ER negative, PR negative is what's called triple negative breast cancer. Well, we know uh, that that's probably lots of different types of breast cancers all bundled together, uh, but is an example of, of breast cancer for which we don't have a targeted therapy. We can't use Herceptin. We can't use Tamoxifen. Uh, so uh, until uh, at least recently, most of them got more general cytotoxic drugs um, like adriamycin and Taxol and others um, that could be effective, but, but they are aggressive uh, cancers and constitute, you know, again, about another 20% or so of all breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and because of the challenges in in treating it, is it more aggressive? Is it is it more deadly? Yeah, it often is more aggressive and deadly. Uh, not every case, uh, but uh, um, that's why I think there's a particular need for developing better therapies for this triple negative group. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on, uh, Dr. Ford, to BRCA. Um, again, I think we're hearing more in the media about uh, BRCA genes, which can be inherited. So a few questions. What do we know about metastatic breast cancer and inheritance? And what are the you know, BRCA genes, and why is it useful to determine if a patient uh, has them? Absolutely. So a big area. Uh, and related to uh, the, the, the idea of triple negative breast cancer, because often these two things, though not always, uh, are related to each other. 
So as you know, uh, BRCA genes, BRCA1 and 2, are uh, uh, the cause of uh, much of hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. They're not the only genes, but they were certainly the first ones discovered and uh, uh, constitute the largest uh, group of genes that, that confer that. So um, we think lots now about testing for BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutations in the germline of individuals with a significant family history of breast and ovarian cancer. Uh, and that means the DNA that you inherit uh, from your parents. Uh, so not DNA from the tumor, but DNA uh, from your, your normal cells to predict if you're at high risk for getting breast cancer and, and to implement uh, tools to try to screen uh, and, and prevent uh, that situation. But it also relates to the tumor themselves and, and what you're talking about in, in terms of metastatic breast cancer. So uh, many of the, of the cancers that develop, particularly in BRCA1 uh, mutant carriers, but also BRCA2, are these triple negative breast cancers. So that doesn't mean that every triple negative breast cancer is caused by BRCA1 or 2 mutation, but, uh, but, but they're related. Um, and in some of the therapies that we'll talk about in a minute that are targeted to BRCA1 or 2, we think are also relevant for, for triple negative breast cancer. Now, the idea of do these hereditary factors relate to a higher risk of metastasis is not so clear. They, they clearly increase the risk of breast cancer to begin with and often aggressive breast cancer like triple negative breast cancer, but, but we don't think they necessarily are a cause of metastasis. In fact, we don't uh, understand the genetics of, of what causes metastasis uh, too well, although there are a number of other genes that are studied in research settings um, that we think may be involved. And of course, those would be great targets for therapies to, to try to prevent metastasis. Uh, but in terms of BRCA1 and BRCA2, the risk of metastasis still is largely driven by how advanced the cancer was when it presented and if it's spread to lymph nodes and some of those classic um, measurements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Dr. Ford, are there other genes that have been connected to metastatic breast cancer? Are we, are we continuing to study that? Well, I think uh, so many people are studying uh, genes and, and the mechanisms of, of what causes a cancer cell to move from a primary site uh, in the breast to metastasizing uh, to other organs. But um, I think we're still in early days of, of, of understanding that, uh, but it's a major target of research because that would be a great, uh, a great focus for therapies or drugs to try to interrupt that metastatic process uh, after a primary cancer is discovered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Ford, we've had uh, some patients ask us um, how and where is biomarker testing performed and how long does it take for the results uh, to come back? Sure. Well, that's a really broad question because uh, uh, this term biomarker encompasses all sorts of different tests, right? But uh, mm-hmm. a few examples, right? Uh, when when a woman presents with a new localized breast cancer, so a breast cancer in her breast, and has a biopsy or a surgical excision of that, it, standard of care is to measure a number of biomarkers that we've already talked about, ER, PR, HER2, uh, and, and other things. Those are all biomarkers to help understand the the uh, nature of that breast cancer. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, a woman with a metastatic breast cancer may have a what, what we're calling a genomic profile or a, or a tumor uh, genomic test, and that's looking often at hundreds and hundreds of genes and biomarkers to try to identify 
specific alterations in that woman's tumor. Uh, those can take, you know, uh, many weeks sometimes to get the result, whereas what we're talking about formally often is done within a day or two. So um, it's hard to generically answer that. But, of mm-hmm. course, the goal for all of this is to turn these tests around in a rapid enough right. fashion that is relevant to taking care of patients, not just a research tool. Yeah, we're coming up uh, about a minute and a half till our next break here, Dr. Ford. But so, so, so we can help women who are listening. So they're diagnosed with breast cancer. What should they be? What should they be asking for? They, you know, patients don't want to seem pushy, but they want to be educated and make sure they're getting all the right tests. Exactly, and you know, uh, so you want to make sure your oncologist and your surgeon and radiotherapist and all the doctors you're talking to are uh, familiar with all this, which certainly they are in any uh, uh, excellent uh, breast center and, and oncology group. Uh, you know, a lot, much of this for breast cancer is very standard now in terms of ERP or HER2 testing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some of these more experimental or investigational things are more centered in, in cancer centers or places involved in clinical trials. And, of course, asking for um, uh, referrals or second opinions to get some of those tests is always appropriate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really, patients should be should be educated, should be empowered, which we're trying to we're trying to do some of that today. Absolutely, really have an open and honest conversation with their doctor and 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 be asking these questions about these important uh, tests that really can, uh, in many ways, help to inform the you know the treatment plan and the and the treatment protocol, so the patient patient can have the best uh, uh, the best possible outcomes. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We have a spotlight today on metastatic breast cancer, uh, specifically around uh, precision. Medicine. We're here with Dr. Ford from Stanford. Uh, we are going to take a quick break here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. 
Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today's episode is part of our special series, Spotlight on Metastatic Breast Cancer. We are lucky to have with us Dr. James Ford to help us better understand precision medicine and its application to treating metastatic breast cancer. Dr. Ford is a medical oncologist and geneticist at Stanford devoted to studying the genetic basis of breast and GI cancer development, treatment, and prevention in families and populations. Uh, Dr. Ford, earlier in the show, we talked in general terms about different forms of treating cancer, and now I'd like to take a deeper dive with you and see how precision medicine is applied to um, metastatic breast cancer. So there are a lot of new uh, precision medications that have become approved for the treatment of metastatic breast cancer with specific biomarkers, you know, in the category of targeted uh, therapies. So let's walk through each biomarker and see um, what scientists, you know, have created and how we've sort of advanced uh, treatment based on, the, the, you know, this new science and our new knowledge. So let's start by looking at what targeted therapies are available in response to uh, HER2 positive diagnosis. How do they work to treat uh, metastatic breast cancer and how uh, are they administered? Sure. Well, as we uh, talked about a few minutes ago, uh, you know, maybe 20% or so of, of breast cancers will overexpress or have amplified this HER2 gene, uh, um, and it can be targeted uh, in a number of ways. The initial and classic example is trastuzumab, which is a, an antibody. It's also called Herceptin, and of course, that's FDA approved for treatment of HER2-positive breast cancer. But there's a whole list of additional antibodies and now other drugs uh, that are involved in that. One's called pertuzumab, and uh, there's... Uh, drugs that are not antibodies, lapatinib and neratinib and, and others that all target HER2 uh, and all have different levels of activity. And of course, 
Now people are starting to combine them together. So trastuzumab plus pertuzumab seems to work better than, than one uh, alone. So the, the usual ways that oncology gets tested out. A really interesting new one is, is called TDM1. And it's an a- example of a class of therapy called uh, antibody drug conjugates. So they've basically taken the antibody against HER2 and they've hooked it up to a toxic molecule, one that's so toxic you can't just give it systemically to a person. But now you're, you're, you're targeting that toxic drug right to those HER2 positive cells and they selectively get taken up by that uh, cell and it uh, has been shown to be effective in HER2 p- uh, positive cancers, even some that aren't treated very well with the existing antibodies. So a really interesting field um, uh, and improving all the time. Mm-hmm. And how about, Dr. Ford, uh, for patients whose biomarkers show that hormones are playing a role in the development of their cancer? Can, can, talk to us about that and talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, the difference between a woman who's premenopausal versus postmenopausal and how that sort of impacts um, treatment. Sure. Well, of course, the, the, the hormone responsiveness of breast cancer has been a target for therapy for 40 years now. Uh, so uh, those breast cancers uh, uh, that are estrogen receptor positive, and of course, that's the majority of breast cancer in women who are postmenopausal, um, are responsive, uh, often quite so, to a whole variety of hormonal manipulations, and they're like way more than we can even talk about here, but tamoxifen is the classic anti-estrogen drug uh, that's been used, but there's many others now. Uh, of course, we're familiar with what, what we call um, uh, AIs, or aromatase inhibitors, and astrozole, letrozole, and, and others, that also um, uh, interrupt uh, that estrogen-responsive cascade, uh, and others, uh, um, Drugs that are targeting things like the what are called the mTOR pathway, everolimus, and others are active in these hormonal responsive uh, cancers. Some of these drugs um, uh, can be used in any ER positive breast cancer, but some we don't use in premenopausal women because their ovaries are still producing estrogen, and that counteracts the effects of these drugs. And that's so that's why uh, your doctor would sometimes recommend different drugs. Uh, if you're postmenopausal versus premenopausal, or or if you had your ovaries taken out for some reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about patients with the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene? What targeted therapies are available for them? Well, this is a really interesting area of which there's been a lot of developments uh, recently. In fact, new drugs approved just this year. So, um, uh, and this is a great example of, of really using uh, translational and, and preclinical science to inform uh, identifying therapies and targets. So it turns out the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes are DNA repair genes. So they're involved in, in fixing uh, DNA strand breaks that can occur in our normal cells for a whole variety of reasons. And when they're defective, like BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutant cancer cells, uh, those cells don't repair as well and they accumulate lots of other mutations. That's probably why they're a cancer risk gene. But then also that's sort of an Achilles heel as a, as a target. And so DNA repair inhibiting drugs have been developed that turn out to be very, very active in BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutant cells. And so this is a great example, again, of targeted therapy to the underlying genetic 
defect in those cells. And a PARP inhibitor called Olaparib was just approved this year uh, based on its improved survival uh, in women with metastatic BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutant breast cancer uh, who are on that uh, oral agent. It's a, it's a pill. It has relatively few side effects, uh, far uh, easier to take than uh, cytotoxic drugs. Uh, and there's a series of other PARP inhibitors uh, uh, that are being tested right now that will no doubt uh, get, uh, get used in breast cancer and may be effective in the larger group of triple negative breast cancers, potentially combined with other drugs, and many, many trials looking at that area right now. And Dr. Ford, if somebody has a history of breast cancer in their family, should they talk to their doctor about whether they should be tested for the BRCA gene? Absolutely. And so uh, this is a really important area that uh, that uh, genetic testing has become so much easier, less expensive, uh, and, and more rapid uh, that, is, that is much more accessible than it was just a few years ago. Uh, and so there's all sorts of guidelines on who should be tested. But uh, in general, uh, a family history of breast or ovarian cancer, uh, or any woman who has breast cancer at a particularly young age, uh, anyone under 45 or triple negative breast cancer under 60, uh, and other situations should certainly be considered for BRCA1 and BRCA2 testing. We worry that not enough women are being tested uh, for this, and that now that there's a therapy that's uh, related to that mutation, in in addition to that mutation, just giving family information, that that will drive uh, uh, more women and doctors uh, to order that and identify this patient as a potential um, uh, potential good candidate for a PARP inhibitor and other drugs in, in coming in the, down the line. Um, so, Dr. Ford, in my research, I noticed that um, there may be more than one targeted therapy for a biomarker. I mean, that's probably the good news, right? We're bringing more uh, and pr- more therapies to market. The research is really accelerating. I know there are a lot of drugs in, in cancer pipelines today, but, um, but, but, but how does the doctor decide which one to use? I mean, I'm assuming it's a little more complicated than choosing between, you know, Advil and Motrin. So um, what are the factors that go into that decision? So it turns out to be incredibly complicated, and it's one of the areas we're trying to get our head around better as to how to choose between targeted therapies or combine them if you have uh, multiple choices. So it's sort of two sides of the coin here. Um, um, Even beyond what we've been talking about so far, in some of these large-scale genomic tests we do on tumors, sometimes you can identify five, ten, or more potential targets in a a complicated metastatic uh, tumor. So how do you pick which one is the most important one, or where do you start, and can you combine? These are all questions that we don't really have uh, magic answers to and and are kind of learning learning our way. Um, uh, First off, uh, combining different targeted drugs isn't always so easy. Uh, Sometimes you get side effects when you combine two different drugs that weren't expected or you didn't know about. Traditionally, Phase one trials, it would be done on any new, uh, phase one or two trials on any new combination to look for side effects and to escalate doses and all these. But as we get into all these new targeted drugs and the incredibly complex genetic profile that tumors has, it quickly becomes exponential to try to think about doing a trial for every conceivable combination of all these different things. Mm -hmm. So it is difficult. Uh, Another approach is to sequentially use one and then another and and go on that, and, and that might be safer, but it might be a little bit slower. And we're still learning about 
if you have a choice, which one should you start with? We like to use the word driver. You know, can you identify the driver mutation, the one that seems central to that tumor? And a lot of research is going into ways to, to try to better pick that out. So I think that's an evolving topic that, that we need to get smarter at over mm-hmm. the next few years. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, Dr. Ford, we've got a couple minutes until our, our next break here, but let's just talk for a minute about uh, about side effects. You touched on that in your last comments, but um, what do we know about sort of the typical side effects that patients experience when they take um, a targeted therapy, and are they different uh, than, let's say, someone who is on a, a more traditional chemotherapy? And then just to follow on, I know that we're doing a lot of combination uh, treatment, maybe a you know, targeted therapy with a more traditional chemo, and does that uh, affect the side effect profile? Yeah, well, of course, you know, everybody hates the side effects of, of tr- quote, traditional chemotherapy and cytotoxic drugs, and they are significant. Um, and, of course, that's one of the driving motivations to try to get to more targeted, more selective therapies because we hope they have less less nonspecific side effects and more specific toxicity or, or anti-cancer a- activity. And in general, that's true. So many of these newer targeted therapies uh, are far uh, less toxic to take and have fewer side effects. Effects. Though I always caution people, that's not uh, not completely true. Just because it's mm-hmm. a targeted therapy doesn't mean it has no side effects, and some of them can have significant side effects uh, or uh, be very variable, uh, not have side effects at all in, in in one person and be severe in another. So again, uh, you know, it's all uh, it's all learning about new drugs and and what the the chances are. The immunotherapies are a good example of this. Uh, of course, they can be incredibly effective and often are have no side effects at all, are very easy to use, but you can develop all sorts of difficult side effects. You're, you're essentially inducing autoimmunity, and people can get inflammation of different organs and, 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 and uh, very severe effects. So uh, it, it's, it's too facile to equate targeted with mm-hmm. non-toxic, though that clearly is right. the goal, and I think we're moving in the right direction. Great. Terrific. Good to know and, and, and to uh, understand, you know, as the science evolves. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about metastatic breast cancer, precision medicine, targeted therapies. We're talking with uh, Dr. Ford from uh, Stanford University. We have uh, a lot more to discuss with Dr. Ford. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home 
a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is part of our special series, Spotlight on Metastatic Breast Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, and we've been having an in-depth and insightful conversation with Dr. James Ford about precision medicine and metastatic breast cancer. Um, Dr. Ford, let's take a minute. Tell us a little bit more about you. How did you become involved in cancer treatment and genomic research? Well, um, I've really been doing it since I was in medical school. When I was a uh, student at Yale, I worked uh, in um, in a laboratory uh, that worked on drug resistance, obviously a major uh, uh, focus of cancer treatments and, and challenge, and uh, have ever ever since. So those studies involve pharmacology and, and molecular biology. Here at Stanford, I uh, trained in oncology, obviously, and uh, in, in genetics, uh, and so... Uh, I was very fortunate to come onto the faculty and start my research career right as some of these cancer genes were getting discovered, like BRCA1, BRCA2, and others. And so uh, early on, I focused on how those cancer genes affect cancer risk and could they be targets for therapies. So remarkably uh, exciting that over the course of my career uh, of, of 30 years that we've actually realized 
uh, some of those goals and, and identified uh, uh, drugs that work in those pathways. Did you did you know from a young age that you wanted to be a doctor, or did you want to be sort of a you know a fireman or a famous tennis player or what? <laughs> well, when, when, when I was an undergraduate, I thought I was going to be a jazz bass player, but uh, but those ah. hopes faded. Uh, so I, I I think I landed better <laughs> in medicine. But I was always interested in science and uh, and in medicine, and so I think I definitely found my place. And still interested in music? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the audience point of view now. <laughs> Outstanding. Tell us a little bit more about the work at Stanford at the Genetics Clinic and the Cancer uh, Genomics Program there. Well, when I joined the faculty over, over 20 years ago now, we started uh, a cancer genetics clinic here, so a hereditary cancer genetics clinic. Uh, this is you know, widespread uh, across the country now, but, but those were early days, just a few years after discovering some of the important cancer susceptibility genes for breast and ovarian cancer and colon cancer and, and others. Uh, so that was taking advantage of genetic counselors who are critical to this process and seeing patients for counseling and, and genetic testing. Uh, and that's grown from a, from a cottage industry to a, a incredibly busy uh, a clinic in terms of genetic testing here and, and everywhere over the last two decades. And that kind of led naturally to, uh, in my own research in, in DNA repair and cancer genetics, to thinking about this idea of profiling tumors and trying to target those, often around these same genes, but more with the idea of, of trying to identify therapies as opposed to just identifying individuals at high risk to, to try to prevent cancer. And so here in many places, I think that's one of the most exciting things going on in cancer is trying to find the right place for this approach uh, uh, among the spectrum of cancer treatments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, now, so that now that you're so entrenched um, in the research, and I'm sure have your finger on the pulse of the national and even international you know, conversation on this, can you tell us, is there any... Um, a metastatic breast cancer research, diagnosis, treatment that we should put on our our radar, exciting trials. You know what's what's next in the in the uh, advancement of this uh, treatment and care. Well, so many things, uh, and I'll just pull a few out. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about at all in terms of a subgroup of, of breast cancer that uh, has been highlighted by all these recent genomic studies are alterations in some other genes, uh, uh, genes uh, such as PI3 kinase, AKT, other genes for which targeted therapies are just emerging, uh, and we're hearing a little bit about clinical trials targeted to them. So I think I think there's going to be many, many more targets in subdivisions uh, of, of breast cancer that we'll, we'll think about more specifically. Another area I think is incredibly exciting uh, for all of genomic uh, oncology, but, but relevant to metastatic breast cancer, is that we can measure DNA in our plasma, in our circulating blood, and we can pick out the needle in the haystack of DNA molecules that contain those mutations that occurred in the tumor and differentiate them from all the normal DNA that's floating around. So that has amazing potential to try to, with a simple blood draw, uh, measure um, genetic changes in tumors, just like we're doing in the tumors themselves now, and follow as, a, as, a, as the ultimate biomarker, the genetic change in that tumor in the blood. Is it responding to a targeted treatment? Uh, is it showing evidence of resistance? So I think this whole idea of what's called liquid biopsies and circulating DNA is, is going to be very exciting over the next few years. Mm, wow. 
you know, Dr. Ford, I, uh, so much of the, the sort of the testing and the, the treatments that we've discussed today are, are, are very um, exciting. Uh, and, and obviously, you're at an outstanding institution um, like Stanford, one of the big academic centers. Um, but we do know that the majority of patients are being treated in the community setting in the United States. Um, they're not treated at the big cancer centers. So what do we know uh, about these, these tests and these treatments in terms of their um, availability to patients in terms of their community doctors being on the cutting edge in ter- and in terms of sort of access and affordability to these tests and treatments. Yeah, well, these are all important and big questions that face, you know, healthcare in the United States uh, overall and, and, of course, relevant here. Um, I think I would say that much of what we talked about today really is uh, available across the country and not only in a specialized setting, particularly for taking care of newly diagnosed primary breast cancer and all the discussions about HER2 and ER and profiling those those tumors and, 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 and tailoring the treatment, I think is... is is, uh, I think we treat breast cancer you know, very well in this country, and uh, that is going on everywhere. Um, when we get to women who unfortunately have metastatic breast cancer, particularly if they've progressed on some of the standard-approved therapies, you know, that's a situation then where I think one wants to think about potentially getting a second opinion or uh, going uh, to a center uh, or at least talking to your doctor about potential trials that might be more relevant for you at that point because often those are uh, only available at those places. All that being said, I think there's definitely a democratization of of this because of the ability to do tumor profiling for so much less money and so much faster than just a few years ago when that really only could happen at a major research center. Now there's commercial labs and other places that can do those tests. So the availability is there. I think it's just important to talk to your doctor about those opportunities and and even encourage them to explore those or talk to their colleagues about them mm-hmm. if they're not as familiar. Dr. Ford, we're quickly coming, unfortunately, to the end of our show, and it's been a very informative uh, discussion. But before we sign off, uh, just a you know, quick word of advice to our listeners if they're, uh, if they're diagnosed with breast cancer or metastatic uh, uh, breast cancer, uh, just any uh, a quick advice uh, that you would give them. Well, just that there's so many opportunities and there's so much research going on. Uh, you know, there's, there's not a magic bullet coming out, but uh, the whole idea of understanding your cancer more closely with these precise uh, tests are only going to help identify a better and more tailored therapy for you, and uh, that work continued. So I'm uh, uh, very excited about the future, but I think we're also proud about, about the great progress that has been made in the last half century in breast cancer. Fantastic. Dr. Ford, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show today and helping us better understand precision medicine, breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer. The information and, 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 and insights and wisdom that you've shared with us are, um, without a doubt, invaluable uh, to our listeners. Um, I want to remind folks who are listening today that uh, we have a whole range of, of uh, education and support services at the Cancer Support Community. Uh, we have um, education 
educational materials. We have uh, support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. All of these programs and support services are free of charge uh, for women with breast cancer or anybody with any kind of cancer uh, and for their family members and loved ones. We have uh, 47 centers around the country where we are providing uh, all of these free services. You can find a list of our centers at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Um, you can also call our helpline uh, at 888-793-9355. You could call right now. Talk to one of our counselors at 888-793-9355. And certainly all of us at the Cancer Support Community are proud uh, to create and bring you this important series on metastatic breast cancer. We're grateful to Lilly Oncology for providing the educational grant, allowing us to do this programming um, and education. And again, if you want to find out more about our free uh, support and education and navigation services, visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can call us at 888-793-9355. My name is Kim Tebaldo from the Cancer Support Community. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, Live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music> 